This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughn. From Aurora. East Gwillimbury. Whitchurch, Stouffville. From everywhere you are. This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, the impact of supply issues this holiday season. Shoppers, are you ready? Black Friday is coming. And minor league hockey players are back. But we begin with your mental health. The blues, the blahs, unexplained sadness, lethargy, the desire to hibernate, and sigh times, as I call them. (sighs) We all have down days here and there, moments where we aren't as cheerful and chipper as we'd like to be. There is a term for what we might be experiencing at this time of the year, seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Here to help right now is Dr. Deanne Sims, President and CEO of ThriveSpace Health and Wellness. Her background is in clinical and health psychology. Welcome to the feed, Deanne. So, Deanne, what exactly is seasonal affective disorder and what, what's the root cause? So when we talk about seasonal affective disorder, we're talking about a form of depression that follows a seasonal pattern. So people experiencing seasonal affective disorder or SAD experience mood changes and symptoms that are similar to those of depression, but they occur during the fall and winter months. We know that there's less sunlight, and we know that in addition to some some common symptoms like feeling low or having a lack of pleasure, we know that people can also experience changes to sleep, like having a really high drive to sleep more than they usually would. They might experience appetite changes, like craving for foods that are really high in carbohydrates, and they might have some associated weight gain and some tiredness. That happens when we think about a clinical picture of seasonal affective disorder. So, Is the onset sudden or is it slow? It's different for different folks, but we know that there is an increase in these symptoms over the course of the weeks and months where we have less sunlight. And so we know that people might gradually report starting to feel um, less themselves, really having that drive to stay inside, stay in bed. And when we think about seasonal affective disorder, we know that this is more than just a case of the winter blues. So we know that for people experiencing SAD, they can't quite shake these symptoms. And some of these symptoms can be distressing, overwhelming, and they can really start to get in their way in terms of their daily functioning. So you mentioned sunlight or a lack of it. Is that considered a main accelerant? Yes. So we know that there are lots of different bodies of research that take a look at some of the causes for SAD. And there's many different emerging pieces, but we know that sunlight and the interaction with our biological clock or our circadian rhythm is associated with a drop in brain chemicals or brain functioning. Um, And these chemicals play an important role in sleep patterns and in mood. So it's a complicated picture, but yes, sunlight does play a key role in SAD. And, you know, there are some out there who kind of poo-poo this and, and may not feel that the person who is struggling with SAD 
it, that it's legit. It is definitely legit. Am I correct? Yes, you're correct in saying that. Certainly, when we think about SAD, we think about a clinical level of symptoms and a real sense of distress, frustration, and an impact in a person's way of living. I know that when I work with people who have SAD, it can be really frustrating for them when others around them say, oh yeah, it's just the winter blues, the clocks have changed, just get up and go outside for a walk. It's, it's a, a real struggle, it's a, a real challenge, and so it's important that we pay attention to people who are, are struggling with SAD. So how do you differentiate between SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and deep depression? We think about the seasonal pattern. People who experience SAD may or may not have had episodes of what we would consider clinical depression um, prior, in years prior, that might map on to seasonal changes, changes to sunlight and exposure. And then we also think about some of the changes that they might experience in their functioning or their symptoms through a course of treatment like CBT or light therapy. So let's explore that, light therapy. And I did a little Googling, as anybody would when you're dealing with a subject like this, and and I've certainly had brushes with SAD. And this light therapy, it's interesting. You can actually purchase lights that are specific to this. So what does light therapy do? How does it help? During light therapy sessions, you would sit or work near a light box. And we know that specific light emissions, we look for a 10,000 LUX, like specific bad lamp. Um, We think of having people sit near or close to about 24 inches away from these specific lamps that emit a specific intensity and form of light. And when people have this light enter their eyes indirectly, we know that when they do this consistently day after day, typically in the morning for about 20 to 30 minutes, that this can have an impact on their mood or some of the symptoms that we've been talking about. What about non-pharmaceutical solutions? So I'm I'm actually going to go the the natural uh, organic route, if you will, I think, initially of things like St. John's wort or to for a better sleep, valerian root or melatonin. Do you think that those are effective in treating uh, the symptoms of SAD, of seasonal affective disorder? We know that treatments and interventions are so specific to the individual that's undertaking them. And close contact with a health network and a healthcare provider is deeply important in the treatment of SAD. So making sure that someone has a close eye on the different treatments, some of the ones you mentioned, St. John's wort, melatonin, um, and other interventions like therapy, et cetera, are Working for that person, we know that there are interactions with different medications, um, different substances, and in the treatment of SAD or any other real clinical challenge, we want to make sure that the treatment that people are engaging with is the best fit for their needs. Deanne, when 
should someone seek medical help? This is a great question. And some of the markers that I use to indicate that a person should reach out for help would be nudges from friends and family members. So if folks around you are starting to say, hey, you don't quite seem yourself or you seem really down or I'm noticing you're a bit more irritable than usual, that's one of the signs. I think also if people notice that some of these hallmark symptoms show up and stick around for a couple of weeks or longer and really start to cause them frustration, distress, or get in their way of doing the things that they would typically do, like showing up to work, uh, engaging with friends and family members, and taking care of themselves in other ways. Those are signals to reach out for help with a mental health provider or a general practitioner or anyone that's involved in their circle of care. In your experience, can the symptoms disappear, dissipate on their own without intervention? There can be a slow and gradual remission or decrease in symptoms with changes to light um, over the spring and summer season. And most certainly with increased activity, increased social engagement, which oftentimes accompanies these changes to light in the season, you can see improvements in in some of these challenges in the face of SAD. Does an experience with seasonal affective disorder lay out a path for, for future mental health problems? We know that people who have had experiences of clinical episodes of depression or SAD may at times be more at risk to develop future episodes. But it's not always a clear relationship. And certainly having one episode of depression does not necessarily demark the future course for mental health for an individual. And we know that by engaging in effective treatment, like talk therapy, including cognitive behavioral therapy, people can learn skills and tools to manage their symptoms to actually decrease the likelihood of future struggles including SAD or other mental health challenges in the future. We are on the exiting edge of the pandemic, we hope and pray. The pandemic itself in the past 19, 20, almost two years, will that make this season of less light and, uh, you know, more darkness and, and cold weather, will it make it or lay a foundation for more people to to be dealing with seasonal affective disorder? Well, it's interesting you ask that, Anne, because I was talking to my husband about specifically this earlier this morning, and I was saying this season and the darkness and some of the cold days that we're starting to have are really starting to impact me. I feel a bit grumpier. I feel a bit edgier. And I think in part it's because I'm slightly a bit less robust this fall compared to last fall. I think it's okay to admit that it was a long, hard 19 or 20 months where we've been depleted. We've been exhausted. And some of our our coping strategies have been blocked. So I know that to me, it's even more important that I am 
engaging with friends and family in whatever way possible. And I'm setting structures in my life to make sure that I'm getting regular physical activity. I am eating as healthfully as I can and getting the kind of quality sleep that I'm, I'm able to get. It's, it's almost like I am coping ahead and preparing for a winter in the face of feeling a little run down, honestly. And what you've just mentioned are real basics, if you will. It's a good night's sleep, a decent diet, and interacting with the ones you love. You know, I'm, I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say this or proud to say this, but I sometimes have a Pollyanna approach to, to life, and it's, it's what keeps me going. So when I have felt sad, seasonal affective disorder, you know, I do really superficial things like getting some exercise so that I have an endorphin release, uh, making my favorite meal, listening to my favorite song, watching my favorite television series, you know, very, very, very superficial things. And I, I'm not, I, it kind of works for me, but I don't want to downplay how serious this is for other people. Yes, absolutely. I think for me, I'm a person who historically has tended toward hibernating in the winter. So I'm being mindful of decreasing barriers to get me outside. I've got better gear this year than I historically have had. And I'm really trying to catch myself in the way that I talk about winter and the way that I talk about my ability to tolerate the cold. So I catch myself when I'm saying things like, oh, it's miserable outside or I can't be outside in the cold. I'm not built for it. And I'm acknowledging, yeah, a lot of that is true, but maybe it's not horrendous. Like my brain tells me, maybe it's not as pleasant as sitting on a beach and something that I can tolerate if it means that I get to go for a walk with my friends. So let me ask you this as we conclude this very interesting interview. What do you say to people listening right now who are experiencing some of the symptoms? They're feeling depressed. There's a loss of interest in their favorite activities, low energy, having problems sleeping, changes in appetite and weight. You know, they're feeling sluggish, maybe even agitated, can't concentrate. And there's a sense of of low self-worth, maybe even feeling guilty. What do you say to people right now? about that. It sounds to me that they are entering into the seasonal affective disorder zone. So what is your advice? My advice is to first understand that you are not alone. And when the symptoms just described really start to get in your way or cause you distress, it's, it's okay to reach out for help. Starting with trusted friends and family members, and certainly healthcare providers and mental health care providers. This is an experience that we know can be really uh, frustrating, really difficult, and really challenging, and you don't have to bear this alone. We're here to help. There are resources and tools that can help you to make your way through the next few months in a way that balances your health and wellness. Dr. Deanne Sims, President and CEO of Thrive Space Health and Wellness, thank you so much for being so professional, but also being so personal in this interview. Thank you. Thank you so much. After the break, attention shoppers. Do you have a story idea for the feed? 
Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. So according to a recent survey, consumers are worried that their gifts will not arrive in time for the holidays. Tina Cortez with the supply chain details. Peter Hughes is KPMG Canada's national lead of customer and digital experiences practice. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, Tina. Great to be here. Tell us about KPMG's new survey and especially what you mean about Container Wednesday. What's that all about? Yeah, well, um, each year before Black Friday, we do tend to take a poll of how Canadians are feeling, how the retail market's going to fare in this particular season. And this year has been unique for lots of different reasons. And the one that's coming across quite significantly these days is the concern around people's ability to get those things that they ordered because of supply chain challenges and disruptions. So for this year, uh, we are looking at Container Wednesday as being the, the date that people around mid-November are going to have to get their orders in or face the risk of not receiving what they've, they've ordered for this particular holiday season. Yikes. So is this the Wednesday before Black Friday? Uh, it would be the uh, Wednesday before Black Friday. Uh, and what's happening now is that, you know, people are waiting. 75% of Canadians in our survey that we just issued uh, have not started their shopping. That's not surprising. Most people wait until Black Friday or until sort of the last minute in any way. But, you know, for those who have started, we've seen that about 60% uh, have not been able to find what they're looking for. Uh, or the shipping dates are going to be much past the holiday season. So we're starting to feel the effects of the supply chain challenges that are going on globally. They're starting to hit home, and it's going to come to light quite quickly when people start trying to buy lots of product in the next couple of weeks. Could you share some of the key poll highlights with us? Yeah, so um, you know, one of the things is that um, you know a lot of the a lot two thirds of the folks that we've uh, surveyed uh, know that if they don't you know buy or procure what they're looking for, they're uh, by mid May they're going to be out of luck. And this doesn't you know jive with the expectations that we retain around uh, you know having the expectation that products can be delivered the next day or within a week. And this has been, you know, built up over the last several years as e-commerce and Amazon and, and others have, you know, permeated the uh, the buying fabric of uh, for Canadians. But it's, you know, running into a brick wall this particular season because of so many things that are happening around us that are, quite frankly, out of out of the shopper's control. Is this an issue that existed even before the pandemic, or is it because of the pandemic? It's a little bit of both. Our supply chain uh, systems were never meant to have such shocks to the system um, that they felt over the last little while. So, you know, COVID, the COVID pandemic has increased Canadians' awareness of many facets of life, you know, healthcare and vaccines. And the most recent lesson that we're getting is a crash course 
in global economics and supply chain. We are sitting in the perfect storm of problems right now where we've got significant global economic shifts. We've got increased digitization and dependency on the digital supply chain and e-commerce. Uh, we've got significant amount of inflation that's happening, particularly in Canada. And then, of course, we've got you know burning issues like climate change. And this is all happening just before we enter the holidays. Things aren't going to be the same. But don't consumers have more options, you know, more brands to choose from than ever before? So shouldn't there be enough out there to, to fill in those deficiencies? There, there will be. It just depends if we're all being affected and all brands are being affected. Uh, what we are seeing is that brand loyalty is going to be challenged this year. I think that most Canadians and most shoppers for this time of the year are going to want to have product or something to give uh, more than giving the specific brand that they're used to. And so, you know, there are going to be disruptions and there's going to be challenges to the brand loyalty uh, that, you know, people have. Uh, they're going to look elsewhere. And yes, there are options, but those options also are facing the same things. I think what we're going to see this particular shopping season is that you're going to see more in-store shopping for the sake of ensuring that, you know, you're going to have product in hand. And so, uh, the, the other the other factor I think that's going to play uh, play here is that uh, people will shop more locally and more locally meaning Canada broadly because you know there's a greater there's a greater likelihood you'll receive product from within our borders because we're not you know those products aren't going to face the same challenges as they would be if they were coming from overseas. Okay, so more in store shopping, more in terms of shopping locally. That's all good news, isn't it, for those brick-and-mortar stores and for those small businesses out there? It can be, and I certainly hope that that's the case, but I can't understate or, excuse me, I can't overstate that even those small organizations, those small retailers are facing the same challenges. So if they haven't yet been able to acquire the raw goods to produce their product or, you know, um, you know, because they're facing the same supply chain issues, then, you know, we're, we're going to, they're, they're going to likewise feel the pinch as well. However, if they do have supply, then there's a greater likelihood that they should be able to promote that supply as something that you won't have to wait for that you can take possession of right away. And you're not going to be disappointed when something doesn't arrive when you thought it was going to. And, you know, some of those those brands, those businesses will be forced to raise their prices. What is that going to mean for those businesses and for the consumer as well? Inflation is something that's affecting all of us. And uh, inflation rose 4.4% in Canada in September, which is the fastest rate since 2003. So this is a big issue. Uh, not only are small business, small business, any size business, finding it difficult to find staff. Um, when they do find them, they're likely to have to pay them more. They're going to have to make, pay more for the raw goods that they use to produce their products. Everything's getting more expensive, and the person who's going to pay for it is you and I at the end of the day. Uh, and this is just the reality that we're going to face. We're hoping that inflation can level off and come back down uh, in early 2022, but there's no guarantee of that. 
So what can we tell our consumers and our businesses out there who are listening right now? The first thing I can say is you have to be transparent. You may not have great news to tell. You may uh, realize that you don't have product to, uh, to sell, and you've got to be transparent and as accurate as possible in terms of when someone might get something or not get it at all. The second thing I'd say is that you need to be prepared to deal with issues. Issues are going to arise, and you're going to have to uh, arm your contact centers, your frontline staff, with the ability to diffuse situations and have answers for consumers that are not going to be happy if they haven't received something that they were expecting to. And the third one is kind of after the fact, which is you're going to have to learn from what has happened here. You're going to have to understand your own supply chain better than you ever have before. You probably want to shorten the number of hops that your product takes to get to you. And you're going to want to uh, double down on those suppliers which came through for you this time and likely will deliver for you the next time. Peter, one last question. Are the supply shortages that we're feeling then right now, are they short-term, or do you anticipate it will carry over into 2022? I think if you look out in the port of Los Angeles and then the ports of Shanghai, um, you're going to see that the container ships that are sitting there are piling up on top of each other. I don't think that we're anywhere near, at least in the first two quarters of um, of calendar year 22, uh, for you know, seeing this ease up, and depending on where the pandemic goes, uh, we could be in this for a little while now. Peter Hughes from KPMG Canada, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thanks, Tina. It was great talking to you. Question: Should Black Friday be a one-day-only thing? Tina Cortez with the answer. Are one-day Black Friday sales no longer the way to target holiday shoppers? Is it all about marketing, advertising, supply chain issues, or all of the above? To break it down for us is Professor Ella Varesu from York University's Schulich School of Business. Thank you for your time, Professor. Hi, good afternoon. So, you know, as if businesses haven't changed enough over the last 20 months or so, now when shoppers may actually be You know, back in the stores, supply is the issue. What is a business to do? Due to supply chain complications that have uh, risen following and during the pandemic, um, there have been delays or shortages of items as varied as toys, furniture, and books. And so rather than having just a one-day Black Friday main event, Uh, businesses are increasingly uh, subscribing to the model that is not new nor not brand new or caused uh, solely because of the pandemic where you have staggered uh, sales and it's more of a Black Friday month or Black Friday early deals or uh, first peak or sneak peak at Black Friday uh, sales rather than just one day of in November. And what types of purchases, holiday purchases, I know you mentioned toys and books, but what types of purchases do you think will be impacted as we shop, you know, for those holiday items at this time of year? So everything from electronics to 
to, like I've mentioned, toys mm-hmm. and books, but also accessories and clothing. So anything that would typically be associated with holiday shopping and gift giving to the season, um, all stores associated are increasingly turning to this uh, marathon or staggered sale event throughout the month of November rather than just focusing on one day. So you're suggesting that companies find staggering holiday sales is a better way to reach their customers. And is it just about language and branding and connecting with these consumers? Not not entirely. It's also to manage expectations because supply mm. chain complications are a real thing. So if you are uh, a, a consumer that is expecting the everything you had hoped to be on sale just on the one day and you run into things not on the shelves and things not, not coming to you or being delivered on time as promised, then it leads to just increased frustration and disappointment. So it's also a way to mitigate these more negative emotions by having staggered sales. And what about the impact of social media? How are companies using social media to target consumers? Oh, the impact of social media is very high because increasingly the first place you go to to find out new information as a consumer of what is actually on sale and when it is on sale is first and foremost through uh, social media channels as well as digital marketing. So that's email marketing, Blogs are, are starting to, to become really popular again. Um, so this is where you go for the most up-to-date information, sales, codes for special uh, discounted sales. And so uh, social media marketing is, is, is big. <laughs> There's no way around it. And what about in terms of the expectations for consumers? You know, should they expect to find deals at this time of year? Yes, so they can indeed find deals already starting November 1st, so some are already even late to the game. Um, Stores ranging from, of course, Amazon to Best Buy, Canadian Tire, but even Michael Kors, so uh, female apparel and fashion, are already having Black Friday deal sneak peeks and actual sales, not on all of their, their products, uh, but on some of their lines. So again, this is a way to manage uh, the supply chain, ensure that there are still sales and, and there are still things to, to buy. And this way, try to make the best of the situation that we're all in. And was the strategy of a Black Friday month, was that tried even before the pandemic? Yes, it was. And before the pandemic, it was tried a lot by uh, also by entrepreneurial companies that try to stand out against the competition. Because if you just focus on one day of the year for sales, consumers are, of course, uh, split and they can't spend their time in the same stores at the same time. And so you did have companies pre-pandemic trying to outcompete one another by having these uh, Black Friday month-long events where consumers would find what was on sale in a particular week or weekend uh, through social media marketing first and foremost. 
Now, the advertising language then is what's being used to, you know, reel the buyer in. But what about when they get there? What about when they get to the brick and mortar store or even when they're ordering online and it pops up out of stock? Then what? Then that that is the ultimate disappointment. And that is what companies should work really hard to avoid because there are competitors out there for um, everything you can imagine or you could ever want or you could ever have on your uh, holiday wish list as a consumer. And so uh, companies should be wary to ensure that whatever they do place on sale is not out of stock. And if it is, to communicate to consumers early on and make sure that uh, they can restock on time and they communicate exactly when the products are expected to come back on the shelves so that consumers can plan ahead and plan accordingly. Final thoughts as we head into this holiday shopping season for the consumer and for those businesses out there? Uh, final thoughts is uh, to shop as much as possible local to help local entrepreneurs to ensure that they survive and thrive post-pandemic. Uh, and a very, very final thought is at the end of the day, the holidays aren't really about consumption or shouldn't be solely about consumption. So maybe this holiday season, think less about shopping and more about spending quality time with those you love and yourself as well. Here, here, Professor Varesu from York University's Schulich School of Business. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, sports, they're back. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. Jim Lang is next with a program to help girls get in the game. The hockey game, that is. In the last year or so, there's been an organization that has changed radically at a paradigm shift. How we view hockey, the NHL, and hockey in North America... And they continue to do great work all the time. It's something called the Black Girl Hockey Club. They do great work on social media at Black Girl Hockey Club with their hashtag Get Uncomfortable to talk more about what they're doing and some of the scholarships they're doing and some of the ways they're helping youth in North America. Thrilled to be joined by Taylor Green. Taylor, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we get to some of the scholarships that you gave out, including a young 12-year-old from Brampton, uh, I, you know, I'm a longtime sportscaster, longtime journalist, longtime hockey observer. I don't think I've ever seen anything that have really grabbed the attention of people of, of all nationalities and all colors, like what you and your staff have done at the Black Girl Hockey Club. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a team effort. And we recognize that, you know, with the tra- changing demographics of society and with the greater lens on uh, the treatments and disparities of those of us on the margins, that we all have a responsibility um, to change the sport that we all love and to make it a more inclusive place for Black women and girls, especially on and off the rink. So very excited to continue the great work. Um, as you mentioned, with our Get Uncomfortable Advocacy campaign and, of course, with our scholarships that really shine a light on amazing young hockey players. So thrilled to continue to do the work that's so necessary and needed. 
Indeed, and then one of the recipients was a 12-year-old from Brampton, Michaela Avatree, and she's one of the four recipients from the GTA to get the scholarships. Tell us about the the genesis behind the scholarship program and, and why these four individuals from the GTA were worthy of receiving it. Yeah, great question. So two things that we know about hockey. It's a lot of fun, and it can cost a lot of money. And so research shows us that, especially with youth hockey, the financial burden is often a barrier for both the players and their families. And so um, just from a personal standpoint, when I'm reading these essays from these scholarship applicants, it's very striking how even at a young age, they recognize that the financial burden really stops them from being able to thrive and grow as a hockey player. And so what we at Black Girl Hockey Club want most importantly is for them just to be kids and to enjoy the game. And so three times a year, we award uh, scholarships to young girls ages 9 to 18. And uh, it's just a small way for us to do our part to ensure that, you know, these young girls can continue to, to be kids and to grow and thrive through hockey. So um, as you mentioned, we did have four amazing winners from the GTA. And I can say just their confidence, um, their hockey playing ability, and what they want to do to make hockey a better place. And already having that sense of consciousness and that desire to make hockey a more welcoming place was really, really striking. So congratulations to all of them and their families. And uh, if anyone is interested, we do have a winner scholarship. Uh, the deadline is December 1st. So if you're interested, you can always go to blackgirlhockeyclub.org. And if you know uh, a wonderful young woman, 9 to 18, who would be worthy of this scholarship, feel free to nominate them. Indeed. Thrilled to be speaking to Taylor Green from the Black Girl Hockey Club. And the amazing thing about your impact on the hockey world, both inside and outside the NHL, Taylor, is the fact that you receive applications for the scholarships from Canada, the U.S., and outside of North America as far as ways Kenya, Africa. Yes, Black Girl Hockey Club is worldwide. So anyone across North America and beyond, if you know of a young girl age 9 to 18 who would be uh, worthy of such a scholarship, feel free to nominate them. So yeah, we're very excited about the growth of Black Girl Hockey Club, and we think that that's a sign that you know hockey as a whole is really determined to make the sport a more welcoming place. So yes. Taylor, for you and Renee Hess, the founder, and everyone involved with the Black Girl Hockey Club, what kind of feedback are you getting from some of the players and individuals within the NHL of work you're doing? Yeah, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. It's always really refreshing whenever we are able to, after a game, meet a hockey player. And they're just so excited to see this amazing group of women and just just to see all of us there in support of them. Um, so we've got feedback from players themselves. Um, another surprising feedback that we get is from moms. Moms are so excited to meet us and, you know, to see us in the stands because just like for players, how daunting sometimes it can be to be the only person of color on a team, it's often like that for families, to be the only family of color in the stands. So they're always really excited to meet and build community with us. So we're always excited to meet not only players but their families and for fans. Frankly, that's how I got involved with Black Girl Hockey Club, just as a fan. And so meeting other people that were like me and wanted to make hockey more inclusive, um, it's always great to, to meet fans. And people really feel as though hockey is more theirs and that they have more of a vested stake 
into making hockey more inclusive when they find community like them. So, yeah, lots of positive feedback from all sorts of places on and off the rink. So it's been great. Again, the scholarship, you can go to the website, blackgirlhockeyclub.org. You can go to them on Twitter, at Black Girl Hockey Club, with the hashtag, Get Uncomfortable. Taylor, uh, the Black Girl Hockey Club you know, movement organization has done so much in just a couple of years. What's, what's next? As you mentioned with our advocacy campaign, Get Uncomfortable, this year's theme is Get Uncomfortable in the Workplace. So we're specifically looking at some of the disparities that... Uh, Black women and girls, but also other folks on the margins go through at work, and more importantly, what we can do to deal with those issues. You know, everyone can diagnose problems. Let's solve them. So recently, we had a panel discussion with Jennifer Reynolds from uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and Rico Phillips from the OHL, and so we're just discussing some of the ways that they're getting uncomfortable in hockey and what we can learn from and how we can all uh, dismantle some of the social injustices in our sport and make hockey more inclusive for all of them. So we're doing this through encouragement, employment, and education. So as you mentioned, if you want to get involved with us and get uncomfortable, you can follow us on all the socials at Black Girl Hockey and use the hashtag get uncomfortable. Well, Taylor, I have to say you've taught this old dog here some new tricks, and you've really opened my eyes and educated me. So it's a testament to the work that you and Renee and the staff are doing. Keep it up. You are doing great work, and you are the future of hockey, people like you. And I couldn't be more thrilled to speak to you. Congratulations, and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, hockey is back in a big way all over North America and right here in York Region. And we're thrilled to see minor hockey back in York Region and thriving. And it's good for the coaches. It's good for the parents. And my goodness, it is good for the kids. To talk more about it, thrilled to be speaking with one of the coaches from the Markham Waxes U11A team, Bobby Birkenblit. But Bobby, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us. Uh, before we get to some of the kids, I, just from your standpoint, obviously you don't coach at this level unless hockey is something very important to your life. I know how much I missed it. How much did you miss it during the pandemic? Oh, I missed it tremendously. Um, it, it was it was something that I would do with friends. Um, it was something I would do with with the kids, whether it was in the rinks or it was outdoors. It's just it's part of a part of our life, our culture, and it was uh, it was missed uh, quite a bit. When when hockey returned and you had the kids on the ice and, 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 you know, the photo of the press release I'm looking at, these kids are just glowing. They're so happy. What was the beginning of practice? Was it just getting the kids to know each other again, getting skills back? How did you come up with a game plan to get them back in the routine of playing hockey again? Well, the interesting part is that, um, you know, after tryouts, you, you end up having a little bit of a mixed bag of kids, kids who have, you know, not played together before. And there were some that had played together before. And I think, Sort of the first, the first practice we had was just getting used to each other, how people um, played, what, what what skills they brought to the table, and and you know, and then getting them to understand, you know, our philosophy as a team and, and what it meant to create, you know, um, a very positive culture in our in our room and, and within our program, and that is sort of how we kicked it off. It was it was it's no different than I would have done, you know, pre pandemic, and and you know, you, you just try to get them moving and skating and, and getting a feel for each other. And that was the, the quickest way to get them into, into, into the spirit of the game again. We always hear how the pandemic has changed us. Did it change you as a coach a bit? Did your philosophy and attitude and, and ideas of coaching kids change during the pandemic? So you came back and think, I'm going to try this maybe a little bit differently. 
Um, I don't know that that it, that it changed all that much um, in terms of philosophy. I mean, it, it still I, I did essentially um, follow the same routine that I that I typically would. I just think you you, you appreciate it more, and you and you and you really want to ensure that the kids have the, the best possible experience this season, given that they had sat around for almost two years doing a whole load of nothing. So I tried to get them back into what I felt would be as normal as possible, which is you know running a a, a, the program that I've always run. So I tried to actually not change too much so it felt somewhat normal, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, no, Bobby. Absolutely. Speaking with Bobby Birkenblatt, the coach of the Markham Waxers U11A team, and you have a mix of, of young boys and young girls on the team. And this is the changing face of minor hockey in Canada, where you see really talented female hockey players more than capable enough of making tryouts and making a team of your level. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, everybody everybody deserves an opportunity to play. And, and I don't, I don't look at, you know, gender or background or race, ethnicity, that these are not factors when, you know, I'm trying to decide on how to best build a team. I mean, the talent is important and, and the, the right mix of, of kids playing together is, is the, is the primary focus. And, and, you know, if we can do that, we can create the right culture and the right environment for the kids. And, you know, they, they, they all, they don't see any of those things that, that you know, you, you typically look at. They just see them as their hockey teammates and their friends, and that's that's the most important thing. And Bobby, often you hear sometimes, you know, in that, my wife and I, we have kids, and sometimes they have good days and bad days, but because they were, these kids, these hockey players, were denied the chance to play hockey because of the pandemic for so long, do you find they have almost a better attitude coming to the rink every day? Like, they're so into it, they're so happy to be back? Absolutely, they're they're always thrilled. They they they're so excited to get on the ice. They're so excited to see their friends. They're so excited to to just be playing a game that they love. And and you know that that in itself puts a smile on the face of the parents. It puts a smile on the kids, of course, and the coaches. We're volunteers. Like we we do this at uh you know out of our own time, and 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 it's incredibly important for us to see that they're happy and and excited to be there, and it makes us happy and excited as well. You know, Bobby, I think for maybe listeners who don't understand, just explain some of the protocols, COVID protocols that OMHA has in place for these young men and women who are playing hockey in the region and in the province right now. So, I mean, the the, screen, the screening process is obviously the first thing that we have to do um, when entering the facility. It, does, it doesn't obviously apply to our age group, but the parents obviously have to have the appropriate, you know, um, vaccination certification. And then when they enter the rink, there's a requirement to have a certain number of kids um, in each of the dressing rooms. So usually, I mean, historically, we've always been provided with a couple of dressing rooms, but, you know, we need to be mindful that we don't overcrowd one of them versus another. So we try to balance that out. And masks, of course, going in and out of the facility. It's not required during gameplay or for practices, but um, I think I think it's enough where the kids can handle it. I think it's enough for now. Um, and, uh, and they seem to be uh, okay and have adjusted well to our, I guess, quasi-normal for the time being. Now, of course, coming up to December is a classic time of the year for tournaments. Do you have some tournaments where your team's going to be involved in coming up, Bobby? We do, yeah. We um, we will be at our first tournament at the end of this month um, in, in Toronto. We are at the PlayStation Cup. Um, Sony Sony PlayStation Cup, it's a, it's a, it's a massive tournament um, that's put on every year by the GTHL, um, and we're looking forward to, to attending that. And then we have another one that will sort of wrap up our uh, 2021 in Ottawa, the uh, the Bell PlayStation, the Bell Bell Cup. I'm maybe butchering the name, but yeah, the, the it's a big uh, a big event in in Ottawa, and we're looking forward to getting on the road and um, and testing out some of our skills um, in uh, in the nation's capital. 
No, Bobby, I was just thinking about this. Nice road trip into the year over the holidays, you and the kids and the parents. I mean, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. It is a ton of fun, and we're actually looking forward to We're actually, most of the families, if not all of them, are actually staying in Ottawa for New Year's. It's a really, really tight parent group. Them, they, they get along really well. Um, they enjoy each other's company, and when you go on tournaments, they're absolutely for the kids. But the adults like to have a little fun as well, and, and I think that when you have the right dynamic, um, it makes it makes road trips, it makes away tournaments that much more enjoyable, and we're looking forward to it. Now, Bobby, we've seen some bad stories in hockey at the pro level the last few months. It just does my heart good to hear stories like this about you know, these U11 kids with the Markham Waxers, boys and girls, kids of different backgrounds getting together, parents, coaches, just playing the game the way it was meant to be played and having some fun. This is this is what hockey was meant to be. It, it, it absolutely is, and, that, and that's something we've missed so much. It, it, is, it, is, it is pure enjoyment. Um, no... No, no red tape. No, no, um, no, no, no delusions of, 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 you know, going to the NHL at this point right now. They're just really enjoying playing and, and getting along with their friends and seeing each other at the rink. And that's, and that's incredibly rewarding as a coach, as a parent. Bobby, keep up the great work. And uh, as again, as a volunteer, I think we all should be thankful for coaches like you who take the time out of their lives to do stuff like this and enjoy the season. And I hope you guys kick butt in these tournaments. Thanks very much, Jim. We're looking forward to it as well. Will do. Take care, Bobby. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.